Welcome to this episode of the Level Design Podcast. I am Mark Drew, and in this episode we have Rich Medicine. I'm going to try to say the name of the company, but I'm, I can read it. Samophus? Samophus. Samophus. Yeah, pretty close. Close. Pretty close. Is, is this a trick company it's, named to, to, to trick us podcasters? It is actually, wrong? yeah. It's just to try and trip up as many people as possible. Yeah. I actually find that people find it quite memorable that they yeah. don't know how to pronounce it. Right, and that's um, a good trick, right? It's yeah. like stand out from you know, Bob Craggett designs or something. And you know, yeah. maybe there's something in uh, that as a lesson for level design as well. Right. You know, people remember being tripped up or finding a difficulty and coming back finding to the solution to, to some something that you're stuck in will stay in your mind we've been doing a whole bunch of recording recently and we were talking with jay Britton about prey now mm-hmm. that's like you know a lot of level design in, in in the whole game of prey but one of the things that i, I just remember one area that i was completely stuck in mm-hmm and that's the area that is like <laughs> st- still to this moment is and then i found a way around it but it took me a while. Yeah. I mean, there's, of course, that game, there's many ways to solve a problem, but this one's like, God damn it, I don't know how to do it. I have a similar one in um, Metal Gear Solid 3 where there's just a, sp- a specific section where I think there's a bunch of rooms with researchers or scientists mm. that you end up running back and forth through, back and forth through. Mm. And um, yeah, it sticks with me too. And that, that moment where you actually click in your mental mapping of exactly what the layout is and where you're supposed to be and this that, and the other and, and the balance is so fine you know and, yeah. and that's the thing with game design uh, and level design specifically is like adding enough frustration in that you're creating a boundary or a solution right. that's required or an obstacle but not leaving that frustration in there long enough that people become disengaged with it yeah slight frustration good complete like throwing a wrench against the wall bad yeah. but, and that, all that comes out of play right I mean when I started getting into this the first design was it, you know, like I have to get that right. I was never getting it right. And it was like, well, no, actually you have to play this. You have to yep. feel it a bit more. There isn't hard and fast rules for this kind of gating. Yep. There, there, are, there are clues and there are patterns, but they're not like, this is how you can frustrate a player for 10 minutes. Yeah. You know? And it's so different per game, per genre, you know, that your, your individual approach has to be iterative. Because right. each game you make is going to have different level design challenges for you as a creator. Is Off Grid your first game? Off Grid is my first original IP. Okay. Uh, Pontus and I both cra- contracted on other people's games uh-huh. in the past before. Before that, I was uh, an associate producer at BBC Worldwide Games on wow. third party stuff for a little while. So Top Gear uh, and of course. Um, a few other do- like Doctor Who IP stuff like that. So I got to see that kind of third-party publishing side of it, Mm -hmm. um, which was interesting. And before that, I had an illustrious career in advertising. Uh, I was a tech artist in film and TV, but I mainly made toothpaste adverts. But that's, you know, this is where a lot of very talented people like yourself have come from. Like Guy Ritchie was uh, was one of those examples that I always think of. I mean like take or leave um, his particular style. Lots of people don't like what Guy Ritchie does, but actually if you think back to when Lockstock came out, he changed certain film language. Wow, yeah, the, the, the whole like action and pose description of the guy, right? Yeah, exactly. That we now have in Borderlands, for example, yep. and you know, that, that very fast 
hyper cranked, mm-hmm. you know, effect. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, and, and, and lots of from advertising. Even though I I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> My dad worked in advertising, so actually, weirdly enough, advertising has been in, in the blood. blood. Passed away a few years back, and I had to go through all his stuff, and and he had all his stuff from like. 70s and 80s like his work in the 70s wow. and 80s yeah, nice. and it was very interesting i should have kept a whole bunch of that stuff because even though it was boring letters but it was like here's spreadsheets done literally by drawing a line on a piece of paper uh-huh. and it's like very meticulous okay you would just use excel on this you know like <laughs> for example you know like like mind blown that you know people had to work this way back then you know but it's really uh talking about previous careers the other thing that i did before that was i was a sculptor and a metal worker oh wow so i actually left school i didn't go to university originally i became a metal worker uh, my my family's background is in farming and so building gates and yeah. pens and things like that and welding up fences for uh, for cows and so this is like actual level design in a way there you go that's what's going to say actual farming level design so spatial stuff has been the thing that i've always played and toyed with so you know building shapes uh and spaces and corridors and catties and you know the uh corrals that you need to get animals into and what space animals move through and how you can direct them right like yeah. it, i mean it's it's interesting to think about it with that level design lens but there's all those kinds of things that run into probably everyone's life where you've kind of done something that was completely inane that that rolls into your level design practice years ago before i wanted to become an architect until i found out it's like a seven-year course and i was like a, as, a, as a young man i was like yeah i won't do that but i was i was doing a bit of research and, and watched something before the YouTube existed, but it was like how they managed crowd control uh, or how they designed spaces for crowd control before yep. you use computer simulation because there's no way you could do this with, or, or if you had happened to have a super crate, which a lot of mm-hmm. agencies didn't kind of have. Yep. So all they did was build it out of, you know, like card, build mm-hmm. like a shopping center of card, put water with um, little things that float in it, mm-hmm. just something, and then tilt it, saying like, this is the exit, this is where we want people to go. Where are the uh, people going to naturally flood to? Yeah. Flood to? Yeah, fl- exactly. Where they're flowing <laughs> and where, the, where they're getting stuck and yeah, seeing yeah. how we can do, like, round that off and yeah. make it a bit, and then they're going like, yeah, there you go. And I think it was a Tomorrow's World thing, I was like, oh, I'm going to become an architect. And then it's, you know, when I've been doing some levels, like, well, where would you naturally, if you, if you were water, where would you naturally go? If you were mm. a sheep, you'd go for, not the thing with a big light at the top saying exit. It'll be like I'd naturally flow to the left or to the right here. Yeah, know? with sheep it's an interesting one. It's a sort of there's a psychology when you're herding sheep actually to literally just being far enough just to the left or the right to make them tick and tack. Uh, oh really? Yeah. And so that's quite interesting. You know, I think I mean I don't make horror games, so uh, it doesn't quite apply to what we do. Yeah. But you do get chased in uh, Off Grid, the hacking game we okay. make. Okay. And understanding the feeling of someone being behind you and where that's going to direct you um, is important. It's one of the reasons that actually we put flashlights on the guards that are on all the time so that you're in a spotlight when you're being chased. Okay. And the direction of how the guard is coming around you can be slightly predicted by the way your shadow is being cast. Ah, uh, so you know that like, he's to the right because you're, yeah. your shadow's to the left. Oh, that's very interesting. So off-grid, let, let's talk about off-grid just for a second. Yeah. Because... Well, I guess that's what you would like to talk about, but Offgrid is an interesting game because it's it's a hacking game, but it's a stealth game without weapons. But it's also looked like I'm a developer 
web developers sometimes hacker. I mean, SSH shells yep. all day long going into servers and all of it. Like, wait a minute, this is looking really, really real. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, that's. Um We've been described as watchdogs with hacking for that reason, uh, because we <laughs> yeah. we felt it was important to make a hacking game that represented, I mean, hacking from an authenticity. I don't like the uh, uh, the word realism too much right. because, you know, you're never going to simulate packets properly across networks, right. and it's not necessarily useful for gameplay or mechanics. Right. And it's not but useful having, for what a lot of hackers actually do you'd have no, a script exactly. that does that right yeah and then you'd sit for nine hours and wait for it to come back yeah so what we've gone for is a sense of authenticity and, and picking out the right things that you need for feel to, mm -hmm. to, to feel like you're in that world so yeah shells ssh like having port scans and uh, essentially the right amount of terminal text without it becoming this is a typey typey hacker game. Right, right. I mean, you could talk about level design in in, in those kind of terminal environment games, mm. probably, because almost like, for instance, an example uh, that we've been doing on my uh, Let's Play stream uh, mm -hmm. with, I, I get hackers into play hacking games with me on a stream. Oh, we cool. We call it uh, Video Games is Serious Business. Okay. Um, we've been playing Hacknet in the last so th this, one. Is this on Twitch or? Yeah, on Twitch, YouTube. We, we yeah. do a multi-stream. Okay. So yeah, if people are interested in, in hearing uh, a hacker's analysis of hacking games, then come and check that out with us. But so HackNet was the one we were playing most recently, uh -huh. and you're using Unix commands to navigate your way around different file systems, and they're the same as rooms. You, you know, you're kind right. of CD dot dotting your way through different places. But off-grid takes that step further because the environments you navigate are an attempt to get to different IOT networked devices that are physically in right. buildings. So you're trying to get through the level in order to gain as much data on the NPCs walking around um, to divert them off course mm -hmm. uh, and find leakable documents that help piece together a case that you you need to find out. And that's because your hacktivist daughter has been bundled away by the security services. Oh wow, that's that's really interesting. And it's got a is not the same, but it's got real interesting parallels. I've been talking to Peter Bottomley from White Paper Games yeah, yeah, I like uh, with the, the occupation, and I the, I think of the occupation as the prequel of Children of Men, mm -hmm. right? Because it's like they have this this Union Act uh, in '87, and then you know Children of Men is in the '90s, and I'm going like, yeah, no, that's the prequel. It's like this is where it's all gone wrong, and now, <laughs> but I see your game as like, yeah, that that's continued on, like the, the hacktivist journalist or you know trying to get get information but i like the the, the threat aspect you know yeah. that there's actually a real goal for them yeah it's set in a world where essentially privacy and encryption have been um degraded a little further than they're well, now basically uh, being done so exactly <laughs> we've, we've taken some real laws and referenced them there's uh -huh. something called the digital economies bill mm -hmm. which theresa may attempted to pass right. over the last couple of years which essentially was supposed to make it that companies and services couldn't use encryption that right. GCHQ weren't able to break within 36 hours. So phrased the other way around, yeah. you weren't allowed to use encryption that GCHQ didn't already have a backdoor to, which yeah. is bonkers. And it's been proposed by every every administration around the world at different times and been laughed out the room. Even if but you know a little bit about it, yeah, it's kind of strange. It's like, that's my day job, right? It's like web development and I have to use these security keys all the time I'm going yeah if you if you can break it in 36 hours even if you have back doors to them means that I have to trust one of your drunken ministers not leaving the, his suitcase with a USB key with the tool 
to do that on a train yeah because that's how we've lost data before and yeah. you only need one leak from a government yeah which a government is essentially thousands of people mm -hmm. so this is not going to get the political right this is massive yeah. yeah it's a massive attack surface and then it's yeah. like and half of it is using outdated systems that are incredibly hackable look at the nhs right yeah so this is a very prescient game yeah in that in that sense yeah, and uh, we've been kind of on that zeitgeist for a while. We actually started, well, my first notion of wanting to make a game about data privacy and mesh networks and the mm -hmm. idea of needing to build a free and open internet after it had been locked down by some people who were power mad or after absolute safety on, mm -hmm. on the web. Essentially, I came up with the first concept for that around about 2011. Okay, right. Um, and then Pontus and I prototyped something in 2013 and it went on the back burner for a while. Uh, and in 2016, we started again full time on it um, mm -hmm. and funded. And um, in that time, we have only had things that we were already doing become more and more relevant to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's nothing has uh, moved on. Nothing has been too of the moment. It's 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 here to stay. Sadly, yeah, all that stuff. It's become more relevant. If if in 2007 they got that through, it would be yeah okay whatever. But then Facebook's come along, I'm saying, and therefore social media's come along. We've expected privacy. A lot of our life is lived online. I mean, I know we do the banking thing, but then we say, like, your cameras, your your yeah. lights, your Alexa and Echo. Yep. Or Alexa your washing machine, machine, your smart toaster. Every single phone. I mean, even Batman hit on it. And yep. with the, the, oh, we shouldn't hear every single phone call. And, yep. uh, and now we two weeks ago, the whole Huawei... Yeah, thing that they're doing all the 5G routers in the UK is like great. Yeah. So who's got the keys for those? Yeah. So that's where the kind of level design around off-grid kind of bridges two worlds actually, mm. because the mechanics in off-grid um, are based around you are a technophobe dad who has no idea about hacking oh, or wow, networks okay. or anything along those lines. I, I, I like that. Just off the beat, you'd always start with like, "Well, you're an elite hacker." Yeah, exactly. I hate that. I really dislike being put in the shoes of an expert and then running an, into a wall first. You know, it just feels so wrong, it's, right. there's a dissonance there. And so we decided that that's a journey that the player and the character go on at the same time. Uh, your daughter is the expert in this stuff, she's the one that helps you set the VCR, mm -hmm. she's the one that makes sure the thermostat is working, that mm -hmm. the smart bridge hasn't locked you out. And she's then disappeared and you're left with absolutely no knowledge as to what is going on. Right. You have to go on that journey. Uh, with the guidance of some of her hacktivist friends who have managed to go into hiding and are trying to get you to do the dirty work essentially because they can't, they're in hiding. Right. And, and along the way they need to teach you how to hack. So the, the worlds that collide are his kind of bumbling normality mm -hmm. and the data sphere. Mm -hmm. uh, especially because you've got like a different view, right? You got diff exactly. There's different views in the game that you yep. have like, here's a real world but here's an overlay of the packets and networks. Packets, networks and the IoT yeah, it's devices. like it's almost if I mean you as a web de developer will know uh, this term, but I'll explain it for, yeah. for the audience. It, there's a tool called Wireshark, uh, which is used for uh, what's called packet sniffing. Basically, mm -hmm. every single email piece of data is divided up into little packets of information that are sent around, and so uh, Wireshark sniffs these packets and collects the information in a presentable manner for mm -hmm. someone who's doing network analysis. In off-grid, that's through the lens of a set of Google Glasses that have been set up to be able to see those network packets right. 
in a 3D space. So cool. there's some poetic license, but you are navigating through a 3D version, a kind of almost a William Gibson-esque kind of world where the the internet is a physical thing. Mm -hmm. And so those two worlds mesh into the mechanics, the hostility that you face in the levels. So the level design is not just based on the, the tight spaces that you put people into in given rooms mm. or channels, but also through um, how densely different data sources are placed next to different IoT devices and which you can exploit and therefore which guards are most likely to be interacting with which parts of the environment based on the data lying around. Wow. So that there's sort of these two brains that you have to yeah. wear while you're playing, you know, like I mean, I, I need to navigate the space correctly so I don't trip up or that yeah. I don't get spotted, but I also need to navigate the space in the data view in order to be, it's called spectrum in our, in mm. our game, in order to be able to pick up relevant information, profile the AI and the NPCs to work out their behaviors mm. and then use the environment or the data uh, or the hackable smart devices around them to divert their interests. The level design is revolving around sort of working out what information is available. And so we kind of call that sort of almost like intelligence analysis. Mm. You know, you're doing recon based on the data around the world, not just what the corners of the building look like. Right, right. And then like the cameras that are about or the Yeah, cameras, sensors, sensors um, whether there is an, an IoT thermostat that can be manipulated to open up vents, you know, kind oh, of well, gating yeah. in that kind of sense is yeah. all based on data and whatever else. But also, like you very early on learn to profile the guards uh, based on their likes and dislikes. So you can learn that one is a coffee addict. Mm -hmm. Then you can hack the smart coffee machine to get a voucher from it and spam that voucher to the to the guard who is a coffee addict. He's more likely to go and take a break and use the coffee machine. But you'll have rigged the coffee machine to dispense double the amount of caffeine, so he's hyped. And if you change two things in the environment, such as the amount of caffeine in the coffee, so that changes one stat on him, the second one would be changing the radio station to his personal favorite uh, music genre. Mm -hmm. Then he'll dance instead of patrol. So, you know, our, our level design comes about from uh, assessing the psychology of the NPCs as much as the psychology of the player. Right, because it's not just a navigation, it's a more of a distraction and activity spaces for, for the NPCs. Yeah, right. and in real hacker parlance, that's called social engineering. Right. It's, a, it's a bona fide way that people get into networks. And it's what you kind of touched on earlier, that the human element is the most vulnerable in any given right. lockdown system or network. So what hackers tend to attempt to exploit somewhere in the chain is the trustworthiness or the behavioral pattern of someone who has access to that data. And like you said earlier, like someone who is a civil servant who might leave a briefcase on a train, well, they might do it by mistake, or they might be distracted at the right time by someone uh, causing a scuffle at the stop that they need to get off right. at or something along those lines. And some, some of the social engineering is actually even simpler than, than people think, right? So for example, most hotels, I'm using that as an example of pubs or bars or places like that, have two Wi-Fi networks, have you noticed? Mm -hmm. One's a locked one and the one is the underscore guests. Yep. You go, I can't get into the guest ones. Can I? Can you give me the password for the other one? Could be Try it. Network. They'll probably yeah. give you give you the password. Yeah, okay, fine. Look, it's four, one, whatever. And now you have access to a Wi-Fi that probably the, the network engineer did not want public yep. access to. Because yep. now you have access to their printers. You have access to their... To and that's exactly the level design space that we navigate in off-grid. When we're doing level designs, we are making hotels or restaurants or 
newspaper offices and we're modeling uh, the types of devices that would exist and what networks they might be protected mm -hmm. behind and what data might be sensitive relating to given employees that you need to manipulate. So for us, our level design a lot of the time is about assessing real life spaces and kind of creating uh, a sandbox within that. I've been lucky enough to uh, have a sort of pen pal exchange with Warren Spector over recent months uh, because he came to see a talk of mine at Nordic uh, okay. game where I was talking about the modability of off-grid and mm. how passing those tools and powers over to your audience is important. Mm. Because off-grid is literally, you can create your own levels if you want. You can download Unity and our tool suite for Unity. Uh -huh. and basically, you make a level given a set of kind of jigsaw pieces mm. or create your own geometry using a tool like ProBuilder. Uh -huh. Then you use our markers for mission objects. Uh, you tie a few scripts together uh, for mm. data devices or the mission script for objectives and you, you use our build tool and it pushes a patch directly to the game or up to Steam Workshop. Wow. Um, and so w I was really uh, chuffed, like it was like a bucket list thing, like Warren Spector, creator of Deus Ex and, and multiple other brilliant games, actually came along to my talk and like wanted to ask me about this, that and the other that I was well, doing. Yeah. I'd watched his keynote as well, so we had like this back and forth conversation over the things that he does that we seem to have subconsciously managed. He talks about this theory of a roller coaster sandbox. So he talks about the notion that many games will be on a track, you know, you're, you're, you're on rails and that's your experience. Or many games will be sandboxes, but he thinks the best place is to be both so that you're holding the hand and directing the player through individual sandbox areas where mm -hmm. you give them a very specific objective and then you give them a place that they can apply any solution that they want to through it. And that's kind of what we've done with off-grid. You know, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's very building-based. You know, your, your, your objectives are get into the building, get to some kind of router or server that gets you network access of varying levels, mm -hmm. manipulate some AI, NPC AI, rather than AI in the theoretical kind of right. fictional sense. I just mean manipulate the guards, yeah. get to some sensitive documents and get to the roof and put up a mesh network node which is going to be like a, a little Raspberry Pi that's the new rebel internet you're building mm. and leak the documents over that. And each stage you're going from the bottom of the building to the top of the building. You go through a floor each time and each mm. floor has a set of different devices that can change the patterns of the guards. The patterns of the guards are dynamic anyway because of the fact that their behavior is based on their personalities and how much, and coffee, how much coffee they drank anyway. So it's right. not predictable in the normal sense. Like mo pe most people expect a guard's patrol route, uh, you know, in any given stealth game to be I'm doing this circle and I S back around the corner and I take a pee here and then I go back to the thing. Right. Well, in off grid, it, it doesn't quite work like that because if they use a certain device at a certain time, it's going to change one of their stats in a different way. Mm -hmm. So they're unpredictable and then you have to make them predictably unpredictable. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, you yeah. have to change their hunger, their thirst, or their motivation. This sounds a lot like some of the, the stuff that they did in the occupation with their NPCs. Cool. If I remember right, they had boredom. Yep. Because their guards walking around. Exactly. Nothing's happening. And kind of like their boredom level would increase. Yep. And they had things in, in, in the area, which I think they were paintings or something, that they'll go up to and go like, hmm, I'm going to look at this painting yep. until my boredom level kind of drops down yep. you know, so like a few minutes it's exactly what we do we have a motivational value and okay well essentially different items for different personalities oh i see so like coffee for one cigarette break for the other I don't yeah know. tv for one yeah 
That's, exactly. that's amazing. It's not out yet, is it? We'll be doing some form of public beta testing towards the end of the year, and we okay. were like nailing down our release dates uh, closer to then. So you've had like the community providing content for the alpha? Is that what's uh, yeah, happening so with the kit? We we did a Kickstarter back in November right. last year. Okay. Part of our Kickstarter was to have what we called first access backers who backed at a certain tier get mm. access to our six weekly builds. So we, we we run sprints whereby we make sure that on the fifth, roughly the fifth or sixth week, it's usually the fifth week, uh, as long as we don't hit a serious bug we deliver something to our Discord community uh, right. and notify those who aren't on our Discord about the builds up that, that you've paid for access to. Can you test this new thing, this new bit of onboarding? Okay. Can you try this new mechanic? Give us some thoughts. Uh, and so we, we've been with a small test group continually doing that. Mm -hmm. And then we're planning on... So, so the test group is like a, a tier of, of Kickstarter? Yep. Right. How's that been working out? It seems like they're, they're, they're very invested in both ways. It's like a monetary investment, but you've literally captured a very core market that are going to be there along with, with yep. you on the way especially if they're giving like constructive criticism back exactly to the, to the so that they, they are um, stakeholders in the project in two different ways like yeah. you say uh, it's, it's been fantastic uh, the 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 one thing I will say is modding is gonna only be a finite percentage of your players right right and so we have I think about 150 of our backers are at that tier um, mm -hmm. or above and so have access to that kind of thing but by the time you take the uptake of who has then actually redeemed their key and then regularly reviewed mm. the builds and then actually tried some of the modding tools and then given us feedback or told us when something's been up it the percentile is really really low it's, yeah, it's down in gotta be sort of two three percent <coughs> so you know we've got a handful of maybe sort of 15 or 20 people who, who muck about with the modding tools but that, for well, us that, at that scale good. it's yeah. actually quite good because it's not too much feedback at any given time yeah so yeah we have people making things with the modding tools regularly we we know that the api is pretty solid because people have managed to make interesting things already and then the idea will be to do a public beta uh, towards the end of the year where we uh, get a, a much larger mass of people to come mm -hmm. in and give us feedback on the broader mechanics, the, mm -hmm. the onboarding, and hopefully then get a taste for maybe making some mods also. That's awesome. What are the challenges in level design for the mm -hmm. stealth game? Because well, you can only do so many doors, right? Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think like cover is difficult in multiple different genres, right? But stealth games especially because it's not just a case of will I get shot here or or not. It's a, it's more a case of like, what what is a guard going to do when he's surprised by you, and how is he going to react? There's a lot more to do with doing realistic gestures and and, and moments of thinking for the AI mm -hmm. that comes into a stealth game. We've also done a system whereby your light level is essentially given to you as a percentage. Uh, so okay. it's like your Google Glasses essentially have a little mon light monitor on them. You've been really thinking about the IOTs. Like yeah, yeah, we wanted everything to be diegetic. You know, right. We wanted this to be an actual interface that the character was seeing through the okay. glasses. You have to actually find genuine shadow. So it's a, it's a little bit like Thief or Metal Gear Solid 3 mm -hmm. in that you have a, a meter that is telling you I'm hidden enough, I'm not quite hidden enough. Uh, if I move while I'm hidden here, that's gonna be a problem, whereas if I stand still, it's gonna be probably okay. That's probably the hardest part because that requires a lot of iteration. And when mm -hmm. you're doing anything with light, iteration is slow because there's right. baking times. Mm -hmm. And if you wanna tweak something, you know, it's, it's not the same as 
changing a collision volume. Right, right. Lots, lots of sort of pseudo shadow stuff will be no. There's like this actual volume that I'm defining and players in it, and they're essentially switched off. Yeah, right? yeah. The AI will never see you there. So we haven't done that, and I think the hardest part there is actually kind of it works well for us and it's important because actually we have real-time lights and hackable lights that could be turned right. on and off right so we can't have volumes in that same way un unless you're then going to link the volumes that are being turned off by the given light we decided to go with something that was more simulative from that perspective so that's that's a challenge yeah. but it's it's a good one and you know we we're starting to build some interesting tools around creating a little kind of uh, set of gizmos that we can move around the level in order to work out whether that's a, a hidden place or not. Okay, like light meters ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. Well, wow. so it's coming out at the end of the year. It's coming out on Steam PC. Yep, Steam PC. It's made with uh, the controller in mind because we wanted to make uh, okay. a game that wasn't sort of a terminal typey typey hacking game, right? It is. Well, this is like a limitation, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to make a terminal typey hacking game without a keyboard exactly right so that's a that, that's a good constraint because then you have to solve that problem exactly and that design constraint has been really good for making um interesting interfaces for complex elements so like right. how do you exchange pgp keys with someone mm. if you're using a, an xbox controller instead of a keyboard and a mouse so like a lot of the interfacing has been interesting and you know like how do you ssh with a d-pad <laughs> I wouldn't know where to start. And it's, it's been grand from that perspective, and partly because my mantra, especially seeing as we want to represent hacker culture in, in its most authentic manner, and when I say authentic, again, going back to this, I want to represent the culture. I want to represent my friends and my mm. people who are in that space and have mm. lived it. We should give a shout-out to DEFCON. Like yes. If we're talking about a hacker culture. Or that... CCC, which is yeah. the European equivalent, because oh, right. that's okay. where all of my bunch oh, okay from. no fair enough so defcon is uh the u.s kind of major hacking yeah. conference sort of thirty thousand attendees i think mm. ccc which is uh, chaos communication congress is in uh, germany and we also have emf electromagnetic field which is a bit more of a maker fair but that's yeah. in the uk and that has all the same hacker villages come along to it mm. and you're right about the shout out actually because the people that are represented in off-grid are a good bunch of them either based on people I know or mm. they are people I know. Okay. So friends of mine like Jake and Mustafa and Darren who were in Lulsec and were arrested as part of the anonymous operations um, that Lulsec took part in and are now reformed folks working for the good of the internet. They feature as cameo characters in the game and oh, they awesome. are people you can meet and talk to and, and get their insights on what they think hacker culture is. And Millerways, which is a, a hacker village that is yeah. part of CCC and EMF and all those kinds of things, is represented in the game by a guy we know called McFly, who helps run these hacker conferences. So we're genuinely representing real hacker culture and trying to dispel the myth that they are the bad guy, the bad guy that's swiping credit cards in a hoodie uh, with a Russian accent, because yeah. hackers are sysadmins yeah. everywhere. Like you yeah. said at the beginning of this. You're a web developer. You've hacked stuff because it's part of your job. Hacking is not a, yeah. a crime. Hacking is making a clever fix to Look, something. At the end of the day, if there were no hackers, at the moment we'd still have tone phones all over the place. Yeah. That you know, people using whistles to get past phones. You know, people. You know, AT and T would have still been doing the same shitty stuff because there's no market. I see like hacker culture in a way like the non dangerous virus that attacks the system for it to yep. become stronger. Yep. You know, you Absolutely. need you need these probing that are probing 
I'm going to say non-maliciously. It's like QA of the yeah, internet. Exactly. That's, that's know, From a game design perspective, perspective right. it's, it's the QA department of the internet. Yeah. And we need more of that. We need more hacking, more people probing and going, look what I found. Yep. Right. Especially now with Huawei and damn it, we got political real quick, didn't we? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's very hard to not get political with Off-Grid. Right. We're one of those games that is firmly planted in a, a creating a platform and a discussion for people's politics around all things digital. It, it really is unavoidable. And, and actually, it's unavoidable because hackers are being persecuted left, right, and center. Yep. One of my friends, Lowry, was uh, being extradited last year to the US over uh, allegedly having broken into the Department of Justice right. and NASA and a few other places as part of an anonymous operation. And it's important to get those stories across somehow. And, and, and they're not represented uh, fairly or equally in the media. They're always represented really horribly. There's, there's malware bites. Malware tech. Mal malware tech. He basically stopped a massive attack and he's... Yep, he helped. He was at the yeah. forefront of the shutdown of the NHS, uh, vulnerab the vulnerability WannaCry that the NHS yeah. was attacked by last year. Yeah. Uh, he stopped a massive ransomware uh, issue. Then he was arrested over possibly having done something naughty in his past. Yeah. Um, beforehand but that's how these people learn how to do the things they do they right. push boundaries yeah exactly uh, and, and like you said before hackers are consistently pushing boundaries it always amazes me for example part of defcon is like penetration testers by the way another hat that i've worn previously is being a penetration tester yep right a penetration tester is a hacker yep. just like just putting out there i mean it's a fancy name yep. but i'm trying to see how far into your system i can go by putting a lot of junk into your system and seeing what, what your system buffs out by mistake. Yep. And what your system buffs out by mistake might give me information about how much further I can go into your system. Yep. Right? So we apply that to our level design again. Oh, like really? Pretty much you are spending your time manipulating networks and pressing buttons and, and, and sending malformed packets to different devices and seeing cool. what they return. An example being we simulated a, a car hack for an electric car that a security researcher called Scott Helm had done a presentation on a couple of years ago at uh, Steelcon. I basically took his presentation and made it in a mod with uh, Harry, one of the devs who was working with me at the time mm -hmm. on Off-Grid, um, who's now gone to Unity and is, is our inside man there. Um, <laughs> I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. <laughs> and so... Um, we basically set up this thing where the, the vulnerability for that car was if you got hold of the VIM number, which is a vehicle yeah. identification which number. Which is not difficult to get hold of. Which is legally displayed on the, the dashboard. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. You could then uh, drop a whole bunch of stuff out of the JSON packet that was being sent to the car in the uh, exchange between the app and the system. Mm -hmm. You could send a, a mal not even a malformed packet, a packet that you dropped everything except for the, the VIM number, and it mm. would return the username. It would return either the username wow. or the email address of the purchaser or owner of the car. So then instantly you have your first credential, mm. and it turned out it didn't need a password. So it was the VIM number and the username then sent back a second time would get you in to the device, the device being the car, and from there, Scott Helm was able to turn this, the aircon on and off, the lights on and off, discharge and rapidly charge the battery. Which um, is a bit where you could start doing overheating the battery, which... Invalidating the warranty. You yeah. could do GPS calls, work out where the car was, so you could actually work out whether someone was at home or not, or if it was something creepier, you could follow someone if need be. Wow. And, and so uh, we modeled that in... Uh, <laughs> 
in the game, uh, and that's where kind of that kind of, again the kind of real life inspiration for different things comes into off grid and its level design. We find devices and how they affect the environment and what data affects those devices, and then we combine it in a journey through a space. That's my jam, and well, if anything, hopefully people out there will go and get it. But you've got one. I've signed up. Awesome. All right, that's on my wish list. Rich, thank you so much for being on the Level Design Podcast. Thanks for having if me. If people want to get, get hold of you, what's the best way? You can uh, find us at, at Off Grid The Game on most platforms. So that's like Twitter, Insta, mm. slash Off Grid The Game on Facebook. If you want to join our Discord and join mm. the conversation, then you go to our studio Discord, which is discord.gg slash Semeopus, S-E-M-A-E-O-P-U-S. I'll put a link in, in the, I think it might be easier if I put a link there in there. There you go. And uh, yeah, just jump in and, uh, and start chatting to us. I'd love to, I'd love to speak to people. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And Thanks, if Mark. you want to send us any comments, suggestions, or, you know, malformed Jason packets you can <laughs> send them to at show at leveldesign.fm or follow us on Twitter I mean why not what we got to lose apart from your credentials at leveldesign.fm thanks a lot cheers cheers bye the level design podcast has been a command studio production our editor is Matthew Lever and this episode has been produced by Bridie Rose.